Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I'm joined by Jim Sharp, CEO of Eventry. Jim joined Eventry as CEO in January 2020 and is focused on leading the global Eventry team as it executes on its vision to help the world connect better. Throughout his career, Jim has led high-performing teams in private equity-backed, technology-enabled businesses. Prior to Eventry, Jim was Managing Director and GM of Gerson Lehrman Group, GLG's largest and most profitable business unit, Financial Services. In this capacity, he led several hundred professionals and achieved significant expansion of the user base while growing revenues to over $200 million. His recent experience at GLG was his second six-year stint with the company. In between the two, Jim engaged in an entrepreneurial venture, partnering with a New York private equity firm to acquire, rebuild, and operate a manufacturing company in the water filtration space. Over a four-year period, Jim developed strategic manufacturing and distribution relationships throughout the industry, won significant market share through data-driven analysis of its market, and ultimately sold the business to a European chemical company. Jim is an incredible thinker when it comes to business, uh, business development, and personal development. He has long been a business and personal mentor of mine. He's actually my oldest cousin, uh, so I've gotten to spend a lot of time with him over the years through the holidays at family functions, and we often wind up talking about business, uh, his aspirations, my aspirations, how we think about business, and all the different elements that relate to that. In our conversation today, we really cover a lot from how he thinks about strategy to how he thinks about people to the role of HR in his organization and how he utilizes his leadership team. Uh, We also talk a little bit about personal development and some of the ways that you can invest in yourself. I think uh, kind of however you come at this interview, I think you'll get something out of it. So without further ado, here is Jim Sharp. We'll go live in three, two, one. And we are live here with Jim Sharp, CEO of Aventry. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show, Brian. I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, full disclosure for everybody who is listening to this. Uh, if our voices sound a little bit similar, it's because we are actually related. Uh, Jim is my oldest cousin, uh, has been a business mentor of mine for a while. Uh, I have picked his brain on numerous occasions, uh, but I'm really, really excited to do it in a formal manner uh, today and, and hear how you think about business uh, because you've actually had a shift in business yourself. So you are in a new role now. I guess it would be good just to kick off with, you know, what change have you made? Where are you now? And, and how is all that going? Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, uh, Brian, great to be on your, uh, your podcast. Congratulations on the, uh, on, on the podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to uh, your, first, uh, your first episodes here. Um, Thank you. So yeah, I, um, you know, these days I'm, I'm in my fourth month uh, at a, uh, an event management software business called Aventry. And so we're a private equity backed software company, you know, like north of 50 million in revenue. Um, and um, we, we provide a software and service component that allows companies, enterprises, um, even small businesses to manage their events start to finish, um, their events and their conferences. So I've uh, been here for a few months. Obviously, the first couple months were normal in terms of uh, ramping up, and I'd be happy to talk about that. And then the last couple of months have been uh, related to um, the impact of coronavirus, which has impacted our company. So I'm ha- happy to speak to that uh, as well. So that's where I am right now. If it'd be helpful, I could tell you a little bit about you know how it's been so far, uh, you know, first couple of months on the job or whatever's most useful to you. Yeah, no, I, I, I think covering both of those would be really good. But let's let's maybe start at the beginning, which is, you know, you come in, you're a, a new CEO, you are looking at a business 
for the first time with fresh eyes. You know, I imagine you did your diligence when you were interviewing for the job, but like, what does that first period of time look like where you're coming in and doing that assessment? Like what, what are the things that you're looking at and what are the things that you're looking for? So I've had some experience here. There's actually been, there's books written on the first hundred days. I've actually read them, but um, I've had some experience uh, from my time at GLG that have helped me help me determine what to do in the first hundred days here at Adventury. So uh, it's pretty prescriptive, but you know, the, the first thing you look at is the, the executive level of the business. So when I came into GLG, I was uh, moving in front of two other senior leaders. Um, here at Adventury, I'm replacing an outgoing uh, CEO. And uh, in both cases, at the, the leadership level of the company, you have to work really hard to develop trusted one-to-one relationships right out of the gates or you're going to struggle. Um, so the story there on Aventry was that I, I, I had a, a lunch with my executive team, first time I ever met them all together. And, you know, I said to them, don't overthink my arrival. And what I meant by that was that please do not spend too much time obsessing over what's on my mind. I said, this is our team. We're going to lead this company together. And I, I think that that helped disarm the leadership team right out of the gates. But in terms of what, what I've been doing to get on board is I, the most important thing is a listening tour. I tend to be more than a listener, listener than a, a speaker anyway. And, um, you know, here at Eventry, I, I conducted more than 50 one-on-one meetings with employees. I, uh, I spoke with a dozen clients. I had an employee survey that where the results went right to me directly um, and uh, visited our offices. And in that listening tour, I carried around a notebook and I wrote down everything I heard. And um, I believe that a lot of what you need to do in the company is sitting within the minds of your employees. And, in some cases, nobody's ever asked them before. And from that, uh, I learned a tremendous amount about what this company needed um, from that survey and from those conversations. And a couple of those big takeaways um, that have led into our strategy, one is that I learned that the communication and transparency around the company was was pretty poor. So big thing to work on and something that I believe in. Uh, the second major learning was you know, no rigor around data. So this is a company that didn't have a thirst for data uh, and visibility on itself. And then the third was really a, um, a clear and concise strategy. Um, and there was a company that had been distracted and each employee felt like we needed to be led in a more clear and concise way. So, you know, basically I, I got to work on those things and uh, I do credit the first couple of months and the amount of listening that I did with the strategy that we're now rolling with. I like that on a lot of levels. Uh, starting with your leadership team, what did you, what did you sense from them when you came in, like, was it something that you sensed that made you say, you know, hey, look, we're going to do this together? Or was that just your style? And then what, like, how, how do you think about rallying a leadership team together and, and creating a high performing team as a leader? Yeah, I think um, the, the reason I said that on the coming in was I, through at my last, my last company, I had gone through uh, a CEO transition uh, as, a, as someone who reported to the CEO. And from that, I remember that we, we wasted a lot of cycles overthinking the, uh, the mindset of the incoming CEO. And I think as a result of that, we didn't get the things done that we could have as quickly as we could have. And I really think that just getting to the bottom of that and creating trust um, right out of the gates helped. And uh, it did help me get off to a good start with a, uh, an aligned leadership team here. I think that in terms of how I think about leading a team of executives, I do have a philosophy on it. It's, it's based on a few things, but the first part of it is Something I borrowed from the former president of McDonald's, who's uh, Jan Fields, and I respect her leadership, and I've had a chance to get to know her over the years. And she always had a saying, which is that leadership is about having aces in the right places, which is a quote that I borrow. And it's all about having, you have to really focus on filling your key roles with top-notch talent. So that's a philosophy that I believe in and something that, you know, over time, you have to make sure you're holding yourself to. But in terms of the types of leaders that I tend to be most successful with are people where I believe in giving too much responsibility to people that are on the rise, meaning that I've found so much more success with people that are hungry, they know they have a bit to lose, they know they're gonna be learning something new and challenging every day. And I find that they tend to do better in, uh, in leadership roles, just people that are really really working each and every day to get better. Um, so that, that's the type of person I look for. And then um, I think that leading leaders is all about setting clear expectations. I mean, I mean setting them on paper, like actually, being clear in the things you want to need. Just this week, I rolled out a new set of MBOs or objectives for each executive on the company here. Uh, and you know, people are very appreciative of having things laid out on paper as long as you're thoughtful. So I think there's a lot to be said for, um, for being clear. And then you know, my style is uh, you know, 
involves a lot of follow-up. So I follow up each and every day with people on what it is you need to get done. And not everybody loves it, but it, it really helps set your priorities um, with the team. And, um, and then the last thing I'll say about this is um, it's, it's important to let your teammates fail too, though. Um, I think that, I think I stepped into a culture that was a little bit afraid to make mistakes and admit them. And I have a saying here, which I use today actually in an email, which is, you know, two points for bad news. And yeah, therefore it, it encourages people to bring bad news to you because you can fix it. And I, I say, you know, things that are not good are great because we can fix them. So I really can't stand for people that don't, you know, give it their all. But if someone makes a mistake, um, great. We respect it. We talk about it. We, we fix it and we move on. Going back, to, I have a thousand follow-up questions with all of that. That was fantastic. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that like three times. The setting objectives piece, are, are those objectives that you're setting basing on that listening tour or are those objectives that you're setting individually with each leader sitting down with their collaboration? Yeah, so it's, it's um, the, so the leadership, the, the listening tour, it helped with two things. One, it, it helped clarify the strategic direction of the company and where we should go. But it did also reveal the strengths and weaknesses of a lot of the department leaders around the business because you were hearing from their employees about things that we're creating issues. So the, the objectives that we have, there's a couple different types of objectives we have here. One is we have a, a quarterly review process where we talk about what our priorities are for the business. And that's very quantifiable things where you check in mid quarter and see how we're doing. You know, I, we want our renewal rate to be this, how are we doing? Okay, fine. But that's different than the objectives I was talking about a minute ago, O'Brien. Like those, those objectives are more for the individual person. Like what are three things I want you to work on, right? So one person, their objectives were, you need to build a culture of data and visibility within your team. It's lacking right now. You know, the second thing might be, this is the chance to prove you can build a high performing team, um, you know, underneath you. And then the third thing might be like, you need to be a better teammate at the executive level because in the executive room, you're sharp or you're not collaborative or whatever it might be. But these are individual objectives that tie to the person. And I think that what people appreciate is that they're thoughtful. I mean, they're based on, really thinking it through and making sure it's a set of objectives that are for that person. So they're not, they're not the types of things that are tied to quantitative objectives necessarily. They're more qualitative objectives that would, that would result in a successful year for that executive. And then the, and then the qualitative objectives or the, or the quantitative objectives then are the ones that you're monitoring as a leadership team and as a business. Absolutely. So those are taking care of themselves already. Yeah. Yeah. You have your KPI trackers and those are things that, you know, in your data and visibility, they don't lie and they tell you how the company's doing and each person owns some or all of those types of objectives. But, um, you know, I, I've always myself appreciated getting a clear set of goals from a person that are, you know, a mix of quantitative and qualitative that give you stuff to focus on for the year. And if it's coming from the CEO, you know, it's important to the company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having a leader who will sit down with you and help you set those goals is a, a gift, right? Because then now everybody's aligned, you know what you can work on, you're getting feedback in that process. I remember when I uh, took over, or really when we launched a nonprofit board with a nonprofit that I'm involved with in Chicago, Embark, and I said to the founder, you know, I've, I've never done this before. He wanted me to, to take it over and launch it. And I said, I've never done this before. And he said, neither have I, let's sit down, let's do it together. And yeah. he told me what his expectations were and we talked through it and, and what success would look like and what he expected out of me and what I expected out of him. And, you know, we took the charge that we had and we raised more money every year on top of that and, and blew it out of the water. And it was really having that clear direction that made it so successful. Yeah. How do you think about feedback in those groups? Because it can be easy for a leader to come in and start to do this stuff and help set objectives and, and, and be so hard charging that all the feedback comes from you, right? All the criticism, all the feedback comes from the person at the top. And there's not much going back the other way towards you. How do you think about feedback within the team and, and who gives it and how to, how to nurture that environment in the right way? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a very important point and question because I think that I've stepped into a team, for example, here that everybody was pretty protective so there wasn't a huge open environment for that type of feedback and team building. So what we did for starters, just tactically, we, we took the entire team off site for uh, a day very early on. And this was the same series of days where we were coming up with our, our strategy. But one of the things we did was we built what we call a leadership charter 
and the leadership charter was the six or eight things that we stand for as a leadership team. And it was everything from like, we communicate as one, we, we assume good intent, all these things that um, we, uh, we agreed on. And we actually laminated that piece of paper and, and we, everybody has it in their office now, the leadership charter, the executives do. And I often cited, you know, I, I cited it in these objectives I gave out that one person wasn't really following the leadership charter because they were pretty, pretty quick and hasty with, with tough feedback as opposed to celebrating what they like about something and then providing constructive criticism. They, 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 were, they were actually being pretty sharp. So overall, we went out and we actually formally set a set of expectations for each other that, you know, that, so that's fine and we have that on paper and I think people are following it. But overall, you have to create a, a culture of people that are willing to accept feedback and give feedback. And I think it starts with me. So at the CEO level, I made it very clear from the beginning that, you know, any employee could and should contact me and I promise I give back to them the same day. And that holds true. Now, one, I was doing that because I wanted to set a culture of responsiveness, but also I want it to be a very open culture where I'm willing to engage with any employee around the company same day and I welcome their feedback and I will never judge them for it. And um, so I think that's helped open up the culture a bit where people are more vulnerable, which is great. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is, you know, we do intend to do 360s. So in terms of actually having a formal way of, of getting this feedback, we haven't done them yet, but I've been a part of 360s in all directions. And I, I think that they're great. You know, they're great. And they also, they require a lot of gut to, you know, to some people have trouble withstanding a 360 because. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're, they're tough. Yeah. Yeah. They can be tough, but they're, they're yeah. usually right. And I think if people are believers in self-improvement, then, um, then it's a good thing. So you know, it's, it's a few different components to get that feedback cycle going, but I think it starts with me uh, being willing as a CEO to be open to it myself. Yeah. The last 360 we did, I, there was clearly one person in there who I had rubbed the wrong way. And I just felt like I was walking on eggshells for like two weeks, like just distraught that I had treated somebody in a way that made them feel inclined to give the feedback that they gave. And I just like, totally shook me. And I mean, it made me better, right? You, yeah. you eventually you process it and you get better. Um, but yeah, those, those are tough to stomach. You got to be pretty strong to get through those. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny too. I, I was laughing, thinking about what you're saying about that offsite and sitting down and setting those, uh, the rules together, you know, putting your leadership principles in place. It, it just never ceases to amaze me how the rules for human interaction don't change ever. Like from the time you're a little kid up until you're a CEO running a successful company, it's like, you know, you go into kindergarten and the teacher goes to the blackboard and writes down, all right, what are the rules we're going to agree to? I remember having a teacher that did that, you know, how are we going to behave as a class? And then you could always point back to those rules. And it's just, it's so funny how we think we've matured and grown and taken on all this responsibility. And it's, it's just all the same as it was when we were in elementary school. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And um, people ask me often like books I read and things like that. And we can talk about that. But well, I'll tell you one business book that has really helped me on that front is a, uh, it's a book called How to Have a Good Day. And it's written by Caroline Webb, who's a uh, former McKinsey partner. And the second half of that book is something that like I've literally borrowed like page by page, which is all about organizational behavior. So like the leadership charter, <laughs> guess where it came from? Uh, <laughs> it, it really is, a, it's, a, it's a series of chapters talking about how you get an organization off on the right foot, especially at the leadership level. And uh, to your point, like it, it, the thing I like about the book is that the, the, the messages are relatively simple. They're easy to follow, they're succinct. And they just remind you of things that you may call common sense, but we don't follow unless we're reminded of them. So I think that was really helpful in, stepping out and, um, and coming up with the leadership charter and the team, you know, they, they hold themselves to it. I've definitely noticed an improvement since we got it out there. And a lot of it, as you said, is just basic human behavior. Yeah. Well, and it's, there, there's a point there too, though, you know, that even somebody who has accomplished as much as you have accomplished is using a playbook, right? Like you're, you are relying on things that either you have done in the past or others have recommended to allow yourself to be more successful. And, and I think so many people get into trouble when they think, oh, well, I'm, I got here because I have this natural skill and they level up to a point of failure and they don't realize that they then need to invest back in themselves and use the tools that they have around themselves. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. You see that happen all the time. Yeah. So, so that's the executive side. Uh, we went deep down the executive team rabbit hole. Shifting back to the other side of the conversation of what you said originally, you know, about sort of rethinking the structure of the company, rethinking 
uh, where your priorities should lie going on that listening tour. How do you, so you, you talked a little bit about how you set strategy based on that listening tour. How do you execute that strategy? So how do you go out to the people in your organization who've been doing things a certain way and say, we're going to make some changes and here's where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I was fortunate in that our strategy, the strategy that we needed to, we needed to roll out was precisely what I heard from the listening tour as well. So I had an advantage there and that there was a lot of alignment naturally, but yeah, our strategy was essentially set offsite, got the executive team together. We drew on a whiteboard for a while. I learned a lot. We came up with important ideas of who we want to be, but more importantly, who we don't want to be as a business. But then the, the hard part began, which was implementing. So we had a board meeting, we got approval for the strategy, but then we, we really started with communication. So um, I made sure that both through written communication and town halls, we got out in front of it and had a very clear view of what strategy was going to be. And we walked through very slowly why, how, what it meant and uh, laid that strategy out. So we had this broad communication going. And then uh, the next thing we had to do is we had to build a governance structure to make sure that the strategy was carried out. And this is a place where you can easily fail because we do what a lot of companies do and we built committees, right? So we built three committees that they drive strategy from the top down and then you have this accountability from the bottom up. But we really made sure that those committees were visible. So A, you have people from all over the business on those committees and B, you have the actual records of those committee meetings at posted places so you can see them and you can view demos and things that are coming out of those so i think the governance structure has actually been very good because it's so visible and i know it's working pretty well um and then the the next thing we had to build in is accountability and i think this is where a, a place where I'm, I'm pretty effective just because i'm i'm so hands-on uh but basically the, the committee structure is great but i have a weekly meeting with our cto our head of product and our head of engineering where I walk through all of the different strategic items, the, the roadmap that we have and how we're doing, right? And so with that weekly meeting on top of all the other meetings, it definitely creates that accountability where people, you know, you don't wanna show up and have that stuff be off track. You don't, you know, going a week without paying attention to it, it's not gonna work. Um, and, uh, and that ties into the last thing, which is really like, you just have to continue to live it each and every day. You know, if you drop, if the CEO abandons a, a line of strategic thinking for a month, you know, rest assured the company will too. So you have to really live by it every day. You have to avoid those distractions that got you into trouble in the first place and, and work at it. So I think the hard work's really, as you said, O'Brien, um, you know, making the strategy or implementing the strategy so that people follow it. How do you stay focused on it like that without micromanaging it? it um, it's a balance. I think that the things where you, where you micromanage for a period of time, I guess, quote unquote, is on the things where you know we're falling off track. So what you do is you ramp up the heat on a certain area for a period of time. And, um, and then as it starts to respond to the amount of oversight you're providing, you let it go. And then it kind of is, is moving on its own. So I think like with this product committee, um, you know, I, they're, they're, they're doing everything well, but the, part of the reason I put the weekly meeting in place was because I've, I've seen people learn the hard way in the past that if you take your eye off your engineering organization, there may be a disconnect between the product and, and the front lines of the business. So um, I wanted to put that in place to have a weekly meeting to make sure all systems are go. If we get everything done this year that we said we were going to do, then I'm not going to need that meeting next year. And I'm going to be able to, to relinquish some of that. There are other areas like our rigor around data where we simply don't have the data we need right now. And so I'm, for the time being, being a micromanager on that, um, driving it hard. But then as we start to get more comfortable you can back off it. So it's a very good balance that you put in place. I mean, I think that obviously, you know, people don't always respond well to too much oversight from somebody, especially a CEO. And I try to let people do their thing. But if there's something that I find is falling off the track in a very important way, you have to dive in for a period of time and make sure it's going the way you want. And then you can back off. Now, hopefully you have leaders that are able to do this for you. And I do, I'm lucky in most cases I do. Um, but, um, but you really do have to, uh, to balance, you know, the amount of, uh, diving into things you do and then helicoptering up to give people the room to run. Yeah. How, how do you think about that from the committee standpoint? Because committees, you know, can be death by a thousand committees. And a problem with committees is often that they get put on a task, but they then have to get whatever their final product is approved by the leadership. And leadership hasn't been in the room doing those. And it, 
you know, they come in with recommendations and the recommendations get shut down. So it's just every, a waste of everybody's time. So how, yeah. how do you empower those committees to make sure that they're able to take action on the things that you're, that you want them to take action on? Yeah. Our committee structure is like a, a funnel. So we have a, um, we have a product development committee that is a lot of the executives. So that's the first committee that meets and says, okay, this is the, the business we want to be in. These are the five products we want, let's say. And then the next committee that meets is a, um, is a steering committee that says, okay, that, those are the goals. Um, what are the things then we're actually physically going to build with that? Okay. And you have a bunch of people from around the business that says, okay, well, if we need to get better at these five things, this is what the thing should look like. And that is a pretty inclusive group of people to set almost like the product design. And then the actual product committees that sit beneath that are the people that actually have to roll out each of those products. And that's a very inclusive group where you're literally just check, checking every week. Like, are we building this thing? How's it going? Let's do storyboards. Let's do demos. And you have people from the go-to-market organization in there and they're speaking back to the committee saying, okay, this is the stuff we want. This is right. If there's something going awry in that process, it goes up to the top committee quickly. So if you have something that's going wrong, it goes back up to the product development committee to say, oh, this is taking too long or it's falling off the track. So this, this process works well because, again, it sort of sets strategy top down and then you have accountability bottom up. And then with that accountability bottom up, you also have the ability for them to question or change the playbook, right? If we're falling off track or doing it wrong, like they can have a voice. But to your point, it's like you have to be careful in how you manage these committees because like if you're not careful, they aren't going to get anything done because it's just going to be at a standstill. Too many people in the room, too many opinions. Um, I've been following up with um, my team. In fact, I just emailed our CRO yesterday and I said, how's it going on these? And, you know, he had said it's very, very, very much improved over what it was uh, and no complaints so far. So that's, that's a good sign, um, you know, from that group of people who usually have complaints about how the products are being developed. Yeah. Well, I, I love that all the committees are integrated, right? That, that everybody's working on each other's problems. So, so yeah. they're all working on the same things. I think generally when you think of committees, you think of somebody who gets a charge and they go off and try to figure out how to manage that charge on their own. And then they come back and report and then it gets shot down or doesn't, but they're, it's all siloed. So you have all yeah. these committees doing disparate things, trying to report to one central group that's trying to manage all of it. And, and that maybe that's where it goes wrong. I don't know, but, but maybe, yeah. and I, I like what you're talking about, how it's all synchronized and you're all at least aligned on the same things. Yeah, we are. And then also like, there's only so many swim lanes at one time too. So we may want to do five things this year, but we may be only be able to do two and a half of them right now. And as soon as we free up that time, we'll do the rest of them later. So you also just have to be smart about how many things you're focusing on at once. I mean, we can't have 10 priorities that we're trying to do at once. We'll do three, right? And you go fully into those, get them done, hopefully on time, and then you move on to the next one. So to your point, like our, our core, we have, a, we have a committee called the Core Development Committee within that committee structure. And they're focusing on core software changes. And at any given time, we can only be doing one or two. It's just the way it is. And therefore it allows you to stay on track. How do you as a leader, this is, uh, I'm curious about this. How do you as a leader like somebody to push back on you when you've asked too much of them? So just to clarify that. So you said, you know, we can only do two or three things at a time. You know, you can't have 10 priorities. That's not priorities. There, there can only be one or two priorities. So if you're running a thousand miles an hour and you wind up sort of pushing too much onto one group or one leader and they're, they become burdened and they realize, you know what, we need to prioritize this. Here are the, here are the two things out of 10 that you asked us to do that we're going to do. How do you like them to come back to you and sort of, give you that feedback? I think it's very important that you have to be open to it because if you're not open to it, you're going to get people that are finding ways to manipulate the system or, or hide information from you. So again, I think this open culture of two points for bad news is something that we live by. We just had a discussion on that today. Uh, so I think, I think that basically you have to have an open culture for people to push back. Um, and then when they do push back, you need to ask tough questions of why. Um, but then if, if you, are listening to them and they're devoted to what they're saying and they assure you that they're working hard on stuff, then you, then you let it go. I mean, we just had this yesterday. We're, we're going to be rolling out a new, um, a new, a new product, a virtual event product actually shortly. And yesterday me and the CTO were talking about the, the beta, the, the deadline that the beta will be rolled out. And in his, in his objectives that I rolled out, I had a date that was 10 days sooner than he was comfortable with. 
And he pushed back and he said, that day's not possible. And I said, well, why? And we went through it. And sure enough, I edited the objectives and I sent him a new copy of the PDF with the date adjusted 10 days later. And it was because I realized that it wasn't for lack of hustle. It actually, this team is working nights and weekends on that particular objective, but it, it was more that I was just being unrealistic and you have to let that forum hold. And the good news is like, you know, he, he knows as he, as he's always known that, you know, we can have a real discussion on that and you need me to push back. I know we'll talk a bit later about kind of the HR team, but you know, um, one of the things I really value in our current head of uh, human resources, who you've met, O'Brien, is that um, she's very effective at pushing back on what can be done and what can't be done real time. And I really like people who are kind of in the arena with you every day and being realistic and speaking their mind and pushing back on you and questioning you. Like without that feedback, you know, it's a pretty lonely job if you don't get some feedback. Well, that's a good transition point too. How do you think about the people side of the business. So a big, you know, the the title of this show is people business and it's based on the premise that every business is in some way a people business, but at the same time, you know, every business is also a profit business. And so there, there are needs of the business and there are needs of the people in the business. How how do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I, I think that truth be told, I think that the, the, the spectrum of managing the needs of the people and the managing the business, I think it's a bit of a pendulum that that moves with the times overall. And I'm speaking at scale here. Um, but, um, and I think my belief on it is that you, you first need to value the, the core needs of your people, because I think that without, without having good people, you're not gonna have a business for long. So I, I think that what I mean by core needs of the people is I have another saying I borrowed from somebody, which is, you know, learning, earning, and having fun. I think those are the things that you, you owe your employees. You know, are they learning? Uh, are they earning some money? And are they having a little bit of fun while they do it? And if you don't have those core things uh, that you cannot waver on, then I, I think you're not going to have a business for long. So that's the first thing that I, I believe in. And I think that's what you owe everybody. But then you need to balance the needs of the business, which is that, you know, realistically, there are back there are investors who put money into these businesses. Um, they have goals. And simply put, they need people to help achieve those goals. So that's where you have to, you know, make sure that you're then putting the, you're layering on the needs of the business. And in times like these, sometimes the, needs of the business are, are getting a little bit more spotlight. What I do not prioritize really is a lot of the frills and extras that, that have really come into the market in the last 10 years. Like um, uh, full disclosure, like we have a ping pong table and we have snacks here in the office, but I don't believe that we should. <laughs> um, nothing against it. I'm not going to take it away, but I don't think it's a huge priority. Uh, I don't think it's the right things to, I, I think that we view that as sort of a, a way to make employees happy, but I think there's so many other core things that make employees happy and motivated. Um, so I don't really prioritize that type of stuff um, in terms of the needs, quote unquote, of the people. Um, but back to my, my comment on the pendulum is like, I feel almost like, like the balance between people and business is, is sort of like a five vote system. And at any given time, I think you have two votes with the people and two votes with the business. And then the fifth vote goes back and forth, depending on the times. And I think for the last 10 years, given that we've been in this ridiculous bull market, I think that that fifth vote has always been with the employee um, on all fronts. Uh, I think now you may see a little bit more of a push and pull between business. I mean, businesses are going to continue to try to take care of their people as they are. But at the same time, I think we're going to have to be realistic about what the needs of the business are uh, and make tough decisions. And that's, that's something that we're experiencing right now, real time, as you read the headlines, you know, by the, unfortunately, by the tens of millions of people that are impacted, which we all agree is awful. I think it's, it's just showing that right now is a time where businesses are having to make very tough decisions. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are also times too, where the needs of the business are the needs of the people, right? That's like right. W- without the business, without, without a very strict focus on the business, there's no business and then yep. there's no people. That's right. You know, That's right. So I think that makes sense. I, I remember a story that my dad told me, uh, he owns a small car dealership uh, right down the street from your office actually. Yep. And back in 08, when the market crashed, you know, his small business, they, they were going through a really tough time and he pulled in, uh, the leaders from his business. He, he has a, uh, union shop, uh, that does all the servicing for him and their union negotiations were coming up. And, and he said like, look, here's the books, here's everything that's going on. You, you know, I know every year we, we want to talk, you know, additional raises and concessions and different things that I can do for you. And I, and I want to do those things, but here's the impact that that's going to have. If we do them, none of us are going to have jobs me or you. And, and they sat in the room and they got to that agreement. And when the local rep came in to help with the negotiations, the, uh, 
the reps from his dealership said, no, 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 we already took care of this. Yeah. You know, we've agreed that this is what it's going to be. And they weathered that storm and he didn't have to let anybody go. And so, you know, the needs of the business can be the needs of the people. I agree with that. And that's real leadership too. And, and then pointing out that, you know, in order to have a business, we do have to make sacrifices. And I think that's what a lot of companies are going through right now. Like that primary goal of survival, like it, it's going to take sacrifice from everybody in order to preserve that, despite the fact that it may require some tough decisions in the meantime. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so when you think about the people side of the business, you know, they're the ones that are going to be executing on this strategy. And you touched a little bit earlier on your HR team, but I'd love to get into how you think about HR and the role that HR plays, because a lot of leaders think about HR differently. Uh, you know, some might think that it's the manager's job to manage the people. Others think that it's HR's job to be thinking strategically. Some people view them as just a compliance department, trying to keep them out of trouble. Like, how do, how do you think about the role of HR within a venture? Yeah, I'm very fortunate here to have a um, a great business partner in um, Karen, our head of H of a, head of HR. Um, I view it as a very critical part of the company. I mean, as we just said a few minutes ago, without the people, you don't have a business. I completely agree with that, and I think it's very important to have uh, an HR function that is a business partner to the CEO and helping lead that part of the business. Um, so I, I think that you know, as I think about what we look for in HR, though, I mean. The first saying I was saying too here, I have a lot of sayings today, I guess, but um, one of the saying is that uh, one thing you have to expect from human resources is that they are actually a resource for humans. So what I mean by that is uh, I've worked with HR leaders that they're really, they're not willing to stand up to the CEO and nor do they put the people first. And I think you need, you need HR to be that balance that makes sure that the employee is always considered and valued. You know, in most cases they are, but just to make sure that we're keeping an eye on the, the employee side of things. So I really do value that people that are at the end of the day, looking out for the best thing for the, uh, for the employees of the company. So that's one thing, but you know, in, a, in an HR partner, I look for somebody who has to be strategic. They have to be sharing um, our vision of the business, like for right now, having to make difficult decisions, having to pivot, but having a good long-term vision of the best way to achieve that and being there in the trenches with you uh, is something that I really value. So I'm lucky there that we have that. And then I think a, a big key thing about uh, a key thing from HR is having to be maniacal about hiring and developing people the right way, right? I think without a great hiring process, without hiring standards and, uh, and standardization and hiring, I don't think you're going to end up with the team you want. So I think it's very important to have HR playing a key role in making sure we're staying on track with the way we hire. And then in the way we develop teammates, I think a lot of companies invest in L&D initiatives and software, and then they just let it sit. And they're really not developing any on-the-job skills or even maybe non-job related skills. I, I think you also have to have an HR team that is really focused on continuing to push the ball down the field on development. And that's a place that gets shoved aside a lot, especially when you're busy. So you need that HR department to push back and continue to make sure that you're getting your, uh, your, your learning functions um, or you have a great learning program across the company. So yeah, I, I view it as a very important part of the business. Um, I think I, I probably over-index on, on the role that I, I see HR playing in the company in, in days like today, uh, current environment, super important. What skill sets do you look for from like a technical standpoint from an HR side? You know, are you looking for them to have a really firm grasp of the financials of the business? Are you looking for them to really be great forecasters and help budget out the right butts in the right seats? Are you, are you looking for them to be visionary in how they can take your plans to maybe launch a new line and organize the people around that? Like what, what skill sets are you looking for? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it, it varies a bit with um, where you are as a business, but from my perspective, I think if I'm thinking about the just real life situation of where we are today, I think the first thing is really making sure that we're thoughtful about the hiring and development of our team. So how do we build out the right team? Who are they going to be? What skills are we looking for in that team and sticking to it? So that's the first, first item there. So that, that I focus on the second is like owning a couple of big processes. So here at the company, uh, I have asked our HR department to run the compensation philosophy of the company, right? And this is a recent development, like help us understand the way we should be compensating our team across the board, make sure it's done fairly, make sure it's done in a great communication style. So there's sort of this strategic oversight of taking on a very important strategic item for the company as well. And then there's visibility. I do not need them to be great financial forecasters, but what I do need is some visibility into what's happening 
in terms of attrition, in terms of hiring. Uh, we do a talent nine box here to assess uh, how our teams are doing in terms of performance and potential, you know, all that type of stuff. Like there's just this visibility that needs to be there as well. And that's one thing that I've really had the team working on since I got here. I don't think the, there's value it's the people metrics. Yeah. People metrics. That's right. Yeah. People metrics. Okay. Yeah. So it's not, you know, not the financial metrics so much, but like, what are the people metrics? Where do we sit in terms of all the things we care about from a people perspective? And let's make that public, right? Let's send around the hiring report every week. Let's make sure we have the monthly attrition report. Let's do the nine box exercise over and over again to see how we score in terms of performance. You know, all that kind of stuff is, um, is what, I, what I expect out of the, um, the HR function. Thank you. Want to pivot? I know we don't have a ton of time left, but want to talk about you as a leader. I know, you know, you've already listed off a couple books. You've listed off a couple quotes and, and mantras that you have. <laughs> you know, I, I know, I know you well enough to know that you've invested in some coaches in the past. How do you think about just for anyone out there, whether they want to be a CEO or not, how do you think about leading yourself? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, um, it's a great question. And similarly, O'Brien, I know uh, we, we share stories a lot on our, our various motivations and how we keep ourselves uh, very motivated. Um, so yeah, from my perspective, like I think that I definitely have over the years invested in myself. Um, I think that I, um, I do believe in continuous improvement. And you know, I, I've always had a, a belief that you can continue to improve in certain ways. And one of the investments I made there, I had a, a speaking coach and a media coach over the years because I wasn't having a lot of success uh, with large groups of people at uh, my last job. And then uh, through some coaching um, with this group called KNP Communications uh, that, that helped me out, I, I became much better in front of these large groups. And it uh, it's turned it into a real asset for me as opposed to something that I I used to spend way too much time on and, and wasn't that great at. So there's been that. I had a, a former executive who was a performance coach, and this is somebody the company paid for for me at my last company. And I would meet with her about once a month and talk about things on my mind. And I found that to be very, very helpful. So there's some of that coaching that I believe in. Um, and uh, so that's been helpful. I think that other things I do to invest in myself, I mean, I try to keep a, a healthy routine. You know, I wake up around five every morning. I, you know, after checking my email, I do some exercise or whatever it might be just to make sure that I'm feeling ahead of the day and I've done something for myself. Uh, and truth be told, I get a lot of my best thinking done during that, that workout anyway. So it, 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 it serves a lot of purposes. Um, I'm always willing to talk to people and ask the questions. I'm lucky to have like a board today that has some mentor type um, personalities on it and ask questions about how to be better. And, um, but one other thing I'll say is that like, I think that something I've realized more recently in my career is that you really do have to believe in yourself. And that's a great way to invest in yourself. Um, I think that when you get into these positions, no matter what you're doing, you're always going to have this imposter syndrome that sets in where you, because you're doing something new, you're saying, Oh, you know, can I do this? Or am I ready for this? And I felt that here too. And um, I think that what you do realize soon enough is that you actually are cut out for this and you've been training your whole career for it. And, um, and you just need to let it fly and go. And I think once you do that, you'll find that you'll get great response from the people around you and that you are as good as you, you, you may or may not think you are. Um, and I found that to be a great way to just really keep yourself growing is to just believe that you can do it. Do you have any mantras or journaling or like, how do you, how do you keep that belief going? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that, I don't know that there's really a, a mantra or belief. Like I do... I do keep like a, a set of goals that I set every year that I have on paper and I can revisit in my email. And that's just a few, th I mean, it's not, nothing worth highlighting too much, but kind of keeps me on personal goals, business goals, other things. But no, I don't know that there's any real, any real mantras for it. I think it's just reminding yourself, you know, before you're going to go in a big meeting, like I had a three hour board meeting yesterday and, you know, I've done dozens of board meetings in my career, but every time you want to do a good job and you have to really pull yourself aside for five minutes before the meeting and just remind yourself that, you've done this before and you know what to do and you want to focus on these things. And when you just believe that you can do it, you do a good job. And, you know, it's, it's interesting too, like, you know, you, you come to learn over time, like even in my public speaking experience, you know, you used to over rehearse, you used to think that you had to have it all down. And then one day you realize that like, if you prep just this much, your body's going to do the rest of it. Your, your brain's going to do the rest of it for you and you're going to be successful. And once you have that realization and realize that you're actually going to show up and do a good job, it takes a lot of the, the stress off because you just have to follow 
the process each time. And that process gets easier and easier and shorter and shorter. I mean, the way that, I mean, I used to prep for board meetings for, for weeks at GLG. I mean, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> nowadays, <laughs> nowadays, you know, I, I can prep for a few hours and, uh, you know, just make sure the good news is I, I, I know my, my stuff and I've lived it. And so it makes it easier. But I think from that perspective, it's just kind of getting to know thyself and making sure that you believe in yourself, I think over and over again and reminding yourself when it's important to do so. I think that's what helps make it happen. I love the comment about taking a second before you go in to a meeting or a call or, or anything and, and just reminding yourself how you want to be thinking. I mean, I, I, I did that two hours ago. I yep. was about to talk to a prospective client and we were kind of pitching a new idea to them. And I was just thinking like, God, I hope they like this so that, you know, they'll buy from me and God, it'd be a great deal for me. And I was just like, what am I doing? All I need to be doing right now is trying to help these people. And if I just take all this pressure off myself that I need anything out of these people, it'll just be a better meeting. It'll be, you know, it'll be better for everybody. And there'll be a higher likelihood that I get what I want at the end. And so I just sat there for like two or three minutes and just reminded myself, this is okay. And I even thought about like, what would it feel like if they said no? And I just like let, my, let myself process that. And then we did the call and it was great and, you know, went really well. And, and I was able to perform the way that I wanted to perform. Yeah. And I'm sure you crushed it because you were yourself and you're ready yeah. for the call. And, you know, and I'm sure they were happy with that. Much better than you probably overthinking it as well. Totally. Totally. So I want to ask you just one more question, um, which is a question that I've been asking everybody that comes on here. What in your mind is the purpose of business? That's a, uh, that's a deep question there, O'Brien. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I think we may need to get all the cousins together for a couple nights and, you know, something stronger than coffee to figure out the answer to that one. But, um, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, for, from my perspective, like the purpose of business. So I think business is interesting. I, I think humans are interesting. Like we're all out here solving these problems for one another. And I think they're all problems we created, right? Like it's, it's, we want to be, we want to be smarter. We want to be richer. We want to be healthier. We want to be happier, whatever it might be. Like all these businesses are designed to like solve some fundamental problem that um, we've, uh, we've created for ourselves. And, um, you know, I think that from that perspective, all these businesses are set up. And I think that businesses are sort of this like handshake agreement, or, you know, maybe in today's environment, it's more of an elbow bump agreement, but it's, it's more of like a, um, it's an agreement between the investors who are looking to make money from a business. So stakeholders who own a business, and then the employees who are getting their livelihood from a business, right? And I think it's sort of this, this agreement that, you know, again, we're here to solve some sort of problem, but you have people that are stakeholders that say, you know, I'm in this business to make some money or something. And then you have employees who are getting their livelihood from that business. And sometimes they're the same person, you know, like in your, your dad's case, you know, it's the, you know, the proprietor running the business and, and the main employee of the business. I think that that is, you know, that's great alignment. And that's where you get really, really good results. But that's what I think about it. I think it's sort of about, you know, a business is really about the people who rely on the company and work hard to make it better you know, from any perspective. So, you know, I, I think, I don't know if that answers the question there, but. No, that's a, that's a great answer. You know, I just think it's sort of this, like, it's an organism. It's a, it's an agreement between the people who are all involved and without the people, you don't have a business without the investors who support it. You don't have a business and there has to be some harmony there to allow it to continue to occur. But at the end of the day, like I think as employees of businesses, all of us come to work every day, like, because we're looking to have a purpose. We're looking to learn something. Uh, we want to feel good about what we're doing and we're wired in a way where, you know, we, we, we need to uh, go to work and do something like that each and every day. Yeah. I, I think that's a fantastic answer. It's funny. I've, you know, I, you're the fifth episode of this um, and everybody has had a different answer to it slightly. Uh, there's been similarity to it, but I, I just think it's interesting to get everybody's perspective on that because I think that that, shapes so much of then how you lead, how you build your business, how you treat your people, really everything is just, you know, that philosophy on what the whole point is anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Jim, thank you for coming on. I love talking to you, whether it's in a formal setting like this or casually over some cocktails. I, I love the way that you think, uh, how you push yourself. As I said at the beginning, you've been a great mentor to me. I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to this three or four times and take a bunch of notes. I'll, I'll try to capture everything that you ref, uh, reference through this, put it in some show notes and, and link it in the description so people can, can click on that. Is there anything else, um, anywhere else you'd like to point people or anything else you'd like to say to kind of sum up anything that we've talked about? 
No, I think we've covered a lot. And again, thanks for having me on and, and congrats on all of your successes, including this, uh, this new, new podcast series, which is great. Um, no, I, I, I think that what I like about what you're doing is you're, you're focusing on the, the people side of business. And I don't know that there's enough um, podcasts out there that, that really go that direct on that. So I'm appreciative of that. And while we, I think we've covered a lot, I mean, uh, some people have often asked me, like, you know, what advice do you have for people that are new in their, in their careers or if there's somebody who wants to be a CEO today? What do they do? And I think one of the only things we didn't really cover today that maybe I would just close on is that like, I've always had this saying, you know, another saying here, sorry, um, which is, uh, you know, called master your craft, which is that the thing I've lived by each and every day, and I continue to live by is that no matter what it is you're doing, whether you love your job or you don't love your job, put your head down and do it better than the person next to you. Because one day someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, there's something bigger that I need you to do. Right. And that will start to put you where you want to go. And I've always lived by that. I've always tried to work harder than the person to my left or my right. And that's always served me well. And, um, and I give that, a, I, I, I credit a lot of that type of effort to, you know, being able to now do something that I consider you know, to be a dream job, which is, you know, CEO of a PE backed company. Um, and I thought that maybe that's just a helpful nugget of information to share with people out there that are listening. No, it's a fantastic way to end. And it's something that's going to be really critical right now as we're going through, you know, the coronavirus pandemic and, you know, a lot of businesses are struggling. I mean, you're in the events business, right? And this has been a pretty positive conversation in, in how to think about business. You know, you could have taken this down a pretty negative rabbit hole, but I think if you're just focused on doing what you do as well as you can do it, you know, and, and being creative and, and hustling, that's how everybody's going to get through this and come out better on the other side so that when we, you know, hit our, hit the roaring twenties here, which, you know, it's kind of funny that in, what was it? 1919, there was the Spanish flu. And then we had the roaring twenties after that. So I'm, I'm hoping that's what happens coming out of this, but it's the people who are going to be hustling and, and doing what you're talking about that are going to be successful when we hit that point. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, well, Jim, thank you. Appreciate the time today and uh, wish you all the best at Eventry. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon, O'Brien. Take care. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, Make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.